everybody, this is Keach Rainwater. I'm your designated drummer. And this week I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, kind of like stuff that you don't know going into a drumming career or a music career that they don't teach you in band or they don't teach you, you know, they don't warn you about. Just little things that have happened along the way that I've sort of either had to learn the hard way or just stuff that happened, just funny stuff that happened. Um, I was recently listening to a podcast called Smartless. And uh, it's one of my favorite ones. And they had a sportscaster on there, and he was talking a little bit about uh, the things they don't teach you in broadcasting school that he had to learn along the way. Things like, um, you know, if you got to go to the bathroom, you know, during a broadcast, what do you, you know, really have? You have basically the time of a commercial break to run, go, go to the bathroom and come back and all that kind of stuff. So um, just little things like that that uh, he learned along the way uh, that he was sharing on that on that podcast. And I just thought maybe I would talk a little bit about kind of along the similar lines um, about things that have happened to me and just funny stories about stuff that you kind of like, oh yeah, I didn't think about that um, along the way in my career. Um, so anyway, um, uh, so one of the things that, uh, one of the first things I'll talk about is um, the fact that a drummer is not really allowed to make mistakes, okay? So, and what I mean by that is I'm not saying that I've never made any mistakes or that I was fired or anything like that, but um, I'll just put it like this. Um, if another musician makes a little blurb or a little mistake or something, you know, the rhythm continues and it's just kind of like, ha, 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 you know, yeah, you made a mistake. Now, if a drummer makes a mistake, it's not funny. It's it's kind of a huge deal because it's like a train derailing. <laughs> Nobody knows where they are. It's like, where's the beat? Where's where's one? Where's four? Where's whatever? You know, they kind of lose their place in the song, and it's not funny, and it's it's just kind of uh, disconcerting to the rest of the band. So, I have learned through the years that being a drummer, being the 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 steering on the steering deck, the captain of the ship, driving the song. You're not allowed to steer off course. You got to you got to keep it going, and you got to keep a clear head, and all that stuff. And it's not very not very fun to for a drummer to be off, and then everybody kind of doesn't know where they are. Um, and that has happened uh, to me a lot of times. You know, when you get lost, or when you um, you're not sure what's coming up, or if it's a new song you've just worked up or something, you just have to make sure that you know that thing sort of more than everybody else. You got to know where everything is, and they're sort of cueing off of you. And they're learning it too, but it, it's nice to know that there's a drummer back there that can hold down the ship um, and steer it in the right direction and not, you know, make any goofs. Because it's just not funny when a drummer, when the drummer makes a mistake. Nobody's laughing and nobody's chuckling. Um, so the next thing, um, one of the things I noticed about being in a band and being the drummer in the band is that you you miss a lot of information sitting back there on the kit. It's 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 you know it's not funny at the time, but it's funny now that I think about it. You know, we used to make this joke about that uh, uh, would say something like uh, they, they would have the band would be talking up there on the stage, and of course I'm sitting back on the drums, and they're standing right next to each other saying, "Hey, let's do that. Let's make that a thing, or let's uh, let's make a decision on this thing." And of course they wouldn't tell me. I would just be back there on the drums waiting. You know, it's waiting for the next song or waiting for a rehearsal or something or at soundcheck. And then later on, it would come up and they would go, oh, well, we talked about that. I'm like, well, you didn't tell me. And so it kind of became a joke of like, nobody told me, <laughs> you know, like, uh, which basically that was my line a lot of times was nobody told, nobody bothered to tell me the information that 
you guys shared on stage. So a lot of times you're back there at the drums and, uh, and I don't think anybody means to not include you, but it, it's just, you're just back there and you don't, sometimes you miss the information. And, uh, so that's not super fun, but, um, I, I laugh about it now it's over the over the years of all the times that I've um, missed a little bit of important information that uh, be, from just being back there on the kit and not being up there. And a lot of times back in the day, uh, you know, back in the day when I had a huge plexiglass shield across the drums, we had this huge, um, it was like a big fishbowl kind of thing. I mean, we started out with these panels that bifolded, kind of like dividers, the clear dividers that set up there. And then, of course, they were like six feet tall. And... Um, and then we went to, uh, you know, back in the early 2000s, we bought this big, huge 4 by 8 sheet of clear acrylic, and it was kind of curved in a sort of a, um, I don't, I don't like, it reminded me of, reminded me of a fishbowl. And, and uh, I would sit back there in that thing, and I couldn't hear anything. If I didn't hear it in my ear monitors through their microphones, I would just completely miss out on information because it was just like a, a wall between us. And um, a lot of times you miss, you miss information, and uh, oh well. That, that just happens, you know, that's something you learn along the way. Um, I am drinking coffee right now, so I'm going to take a sip real quick. I got to have coffee. That's just my thing. You know, if I'm going to sit down and be doing this stuff, I'm, the first thing I think of is I can have a cup of coffee. Um, big, huge coffee guy. So uh, if you hear me sip um, occasionally, it's just because I'm drinking my coffee right here, my morning coffee. Um, so another thing that's kind of funny that has happened along uh, my career of, of years of stuff is um, the show Saturday Night Live. And I'm not talking about like we were on Saturday Night Live or anything like that, but just the fact that in the late 70s, Saturday Night Live was a thing. You know, everybody everybody saw it. Everybody saw Saturday Night Live. And uh, when I became a professional drummer playing clubs and, you know, whatever, you know, shows and whatever uh, our gig was, um, I... As soon as I started doing that for a living, I never saw Saturday Night Live again. <laughs> I mean, for, I mean, deck, well, as long as it, you know, deck, I guess it's still going on now, but I just lost that ability to see that show because, you know, there, I guess I could have sort of recorded it on a VCR or something like that, but, but it just, when I started to make a living playing drums, people would talk about, oh, did you see Saturday Night Live? It's so funny with Eddie Murphy and, you know, I'm Gumby and all that stuff. I had no, I'm like, nope, sorry, I don't know anything about it, I don't even know what you're talking about, because every single week that we would play, even if we had, um, you know, uh, only one night to play or one gig, it was usually on a Saturday night, and uh, by about the mid-80s to the late 80s, I had lost all interest in anything Saturday Night Live, I didn't know any of the people, I didn't, I didn't, it just wasn't a thing anymore, it just wasn't funny to me, because I didn't, I didn't know those those new people that had come along on Saturday Night Live and only would know about them later, you know, like um, Mike Myers and, and uh, Dana Carvey and all that stuff that was on Saturday Night Live at the time. Um, I just kind of didn't know who they were, and it was just like a thing I just missed out on from being a professional drummer. No Saturday Night Live. It was like, nope, didn't see it. Um, so another thing I'll talk about is um, in the early days, I got a lot of blisters. Now, this isn't as much a funny story as it is just, um, you know, something I've learned along the way. Um, is I got a lot of blisters when I was playing on my hands when I would play, and uh, I, we were playing a lot. It was like five to six nights a week, sometimes seven nights a week, and uh, we're talking five sets a night. That's a lot of drumming. That's a lot of playing. And over over the first few years, 
I started in 82, and so by about 83 and a half, um, I uh, started getting really bad blisters on my hands, and I mean, they were, they would get really sore, and they would um, accumulate these blisters on my hands, and I tried things from like wearing tape, and I've seen some drummers tape their blisters up and stuff like that, and uh, I tried this stuff called, this stuff that you put on, it's like a uh, sort of a, it comes in a tube and you squeeze it on your hand and you rub it on there and it's like a second skin sort of thing. Well, that would wear through after the first song, so forget about that. Um, and I just didn't want to wear gloves. You know, they have these drummer's gloves that you wear and I would see drummers playing with these gloves on and I just thought, you know, I, I just don't want to have to, I did try the glove at one time. I tried it. I had a glove, I think it was just on my left hand or something because that's where the blisters seem to happen a lot. Um, the snare, the, the, the hand that I used to hit the snare and, um, that thing wore through too, but I just, so I just gave up on the whole glove idea and I thought, well, you know what? I'm just going to have to keep doing it until they turn into calluses, I guess. I, and I didn't know it at the time, but blisters turned into calluses and then, uh, over probably about five or six years. So by the late eighties, I already had calluses on my hands and it was not a thing anymore, but that's something you never could have told me in high school that I was going to get like really bad blisters on my hands and stuff like that from that I was going to be playing drums so much that I would get blisters on my hands and I have to only time and experience is going to um you know and turn them into calluses and so to this day on my hands I just feel these rough spots that are hard skin that just don't bother me anymore and then I guess another thing is is when you're young and you're starting out, you tend to grip the sticks a little tighter. You're afraid they're going to fall. You're sort of scared you're going to drop a stick or something. And then as time goes by, you uh, you just you don't hold them as tight. You just have a way of holding them that's a little more comfortable without dropping them. And uh, now I'm not saying I've never, I haven't dropped sticks recently. Sometimes if the kit's set up a little different or uh, symbols a little closer than normal or something is different, I'll won't be used to it, and a, a tip of the stick will get under something, and of course <laughs> it'll, it'll fly. Everybody drops sticks um, occasionally, but um, back then I was always scared that I was gonna that I was gonna drop a stick and uh, it was gonna be really embarrassing, which it really it still is to this day when I drop a stick. I, of course, I have I can recover a little easier than I used to. I have a stick on the right and a stick on the left waiting for me to grab in case I break one or something like that. Um, but uh, so another thing I'll talk about a little bit is um, that is a funny story is drum cases and um when i started out playing uh in the early 80s like in 1980 81 um i was i graduated high school in 81 and um i had drums and i and i would had a little toyota celica and i would load all my drums in my car and i mean at that time rush was a big deal you know the uh, moving pictures album with neil peart um and everybody wanted to be him and so I bought a double bass kit, and I was playing in a rock band in high school. And we would I would set up this big, huge drum kit, and it would barely fit in my car. I had this little Toyota Celica. And, I mean, it was like both bass drums would sit in the back seat with drums on top of those. And then all my hardware and other things would be, like drum stool and stuff like that would be in the trunk. And then the front seat would be the floor tom, and then another tom on top of that. And then this, it was just like every... Every place in that car had a drum in it, you know, if, and if I would have added one more drum or a spare snare or something, it would have been sitting in my lap while I drove. That's how tight things were, but um, never even thought about drum cases at all because I just didn't, 
it just didn't enter my mind that I would ever need drum cases. I, they always fit in my car, and everything was fine until I got in my first professional band. And, uh, you know, we rehearsed, and we played around town in Dallas, and that's where I'm from. You know, that's where I grew up playing, around Dallas, and I would load everything in my car. And then eventually I bought a pickup truck, and I could haul them in the pickup truck, and hopefully it wasn't raining at the time. I would sort of cover them with something. And then uh, the band came up and said, okay, we've got this gig in Lexington, Kentucky, um, so we're going to rent a, a van and a trailer to go there. So just bring your drum cases, and we'll load everything up. And I was like, drum cases? Oh, yeah. Oh, drum cases. Yeah, my drum cases. Of course. Yeah, I'll bring those for sure. I've got those. I didn't have any. And um, I had to hurriedly go buy a whole kit. And Well, of course, I didn't play the double bass kit in this band. This band was more of a show band. But it's still, I needed drum cases. So I had to go and bite the bullet. And I spent probably all the money I would have made on that gig uh, in Lexington, Kentucky, our road trip gig, um, I spent it all on drum cases. So from then on, I had drum cases. But um, So if you're starting out <laughs> and uh, you have a great set of drums, you've got to get cases because um, if you start playing professionally, you're going to have to have cases. And uh, here's a tip um, to make people, um, and I'll probably cover this in my course in the future, um, to make people um, look at you like more of a professional drummer, um, have your name stenciled on those drum cases. So when, like, say you show up at an audition, you take your drums out of the cases, and you they see your name stenciled on the cases, um, then, you know, they kind of look at you more like, oh, he's kind of somebody. He's got his name on the cases. I mean, it sounds kind of stupid, but uh, it really is kind of a thing because they'll remember your name because they saw it spelled out on your cases, and it just makes it look like you're you've got your stuff together. So anyway, get some cases, get some good cases, invest in them when you buy your kit, get cases too. Um, uh, so the next thing I'll talk about is, it's kind of a funny story that I, I never knew that uh, was going to be a thing. And uh, when you're back there uh, on the drums, uh, one of the things that you, uh, you don't realize is that you're going to have to be staring at a lot of butts all the time. You know, <laughs> you're, you're back there, uh, looking out and you're playing all you see is uh other musicians butts so um and then uh and i was going to say if you ever see their face if they turn around you probably made a mistake they're probably looking at you like uh, what are you doing back there you know so when you see the faces unless it's like they're smiling at you or laughing at you or something like that usually um it's it, like they'll you know they'll stare they'll give you the the stare of death you know if you make a mistake or something if you're not playing right you'll see their face but normally it's just looking at a bunch of butts all the time um so uh, the next thing I'll talk about is um, backline. Um, a lot of times, uh, that you know, this is something I didn't know starting out. I always thought I'd be playing my drums all the time. But then we started doing fly dates um, where you have to fly to, like, California or, or Canada or somewhere where the bus can't go or whatever. So everybody else in the band gets to bring their guitar. or Now, I will say the keyboard player doesn't get to bring their keyboard but you know keyboards are keyboards they're pretty much laid out the same um so when you get a rental keyboard it's you know it's assumed that it's going to be the same as yours now drums not so much when you rent a drum kit about what they call a backline drum kit um it is just kind of like a box of chocolates you never know what you're going to get and i think the more the more um professional you get and the more um you know the more professional you're your, your band gets uh, moving along, you know, making records and things like that. I think that you can kind of get what you want. You can call the rental company and you say, I want exactly this kit with exactly these symbols and all that. But starting out, 
on a fly date. You just, I've had some of the worst kits you can imagine. It's like, it's almost like uh, someone's cousin has a drum kit in their garage and they'll throw it up on stage and go, there's your drums. So um, with old heads on them and um, like I got one one time where, uh, th- where the, they put the bottom heads on the top and the top heads on the bottom and they, the drums were done upside down. Um, but anyway, uh, so sometimes uh, what they call a backline kit is not going to be what you want. So you have to learn how to make the best of that. You know, you have to set it up the best way you can and tune it the best way you can and try and make do with what you've got. Um, I think I even one time uh, got a backline kit that had no hi-hat stand. They forgot they forgot the hi-hat stand. They had hi-hat cymbals, but no hi-hat stand. So I had to do sound check with no hi-hat, you know, and just kind of waiting for them to go track one down and I think they finally found someone because the the rental kit had come from a couple of states away or something it was somewhere in Utah or something like that but they rented it from say like Vegas or something from some rental company in Vegas and so they there was no going back to get it so they had to like call everybody they knew on the crew there and say do you know anybody that has drums that they could lend us a hi-hat so that's that was a thing and so just it gets kind of you know trying after a while um so another thing I'll talk about is um, that I never knew, you know, going into being a professional drummer is playing when you're sick. Um, one of the things that happens is, you know, you get a cold or you get sick or you get a, some kind of flu or something like that. Um, and it inevitably it will hit right when you have to do a gig or when you're, you're playing six nights a week, seven nights a week, and you're going to get sick. And um, you just have to play. You can't. I mean, unless you're in the hospital, you can't just call in and go, I have a cold, I can't play, or something like that. And I really feel for uh, people that like ha- are vocalists, that are singers, when they get sick, I mean, it's I don't know how they do it, honestly, but anyway, but so playing drums, you have to do the same. You have to play when you're sick. And one thing that I've, I don't know if I've trained my body to do it, or if it's just like something that happens... But when I get sick, um, I'll be in bed all day, and I'll rest, and I'll take medicine and stuff like that. So I'll take some um, Alka-Seltzer, Alka-Seltzer, cold, Alka-Seltzer uh, flu and cold medicine. Alka-Seltzer plus cold medicine, that's what I'm trying to say. Alka-Seltzer plus cold medicine um, has been my go-to for if I'm sick or something like that. And and also, even if I didn't take the, the flu medicine, when I get up there on stage and start playing, my body just, there's this kind of thing that I go into, sort of like this superhero mode or something. I don't know what to call it, adrenaline. And I start playing, and all those symptoms of the flu and cold, all that stuff, they just go away. I don't sneeze. I don't cough. and There's nothing nothing wrong with me. And then as soon as I finish the gig and I get off stage, it all comes back again. And I've, so I don't know if I've trained my body to do that or if it's just something that has happened over the over time or if it's like I said the, the adrenaline kicking in or whatever that that's something that you have to deal with that I didn't think about before I started playing drums professionally you know in my in my career and then so the last thing I want to talk about is uh, well it's not really a lesson or anything it's not any a thing but it's just something that happened to me that was on stage playing and I had a stick um I was trying out these new sticks from a company that was local there in Dallas and I was playing along and these sticks were made from I don't know hickory or something like that from some kind of wood and they were trying out a whole batch of these things and they would give me their their seconds or whatever you know and I would just try I would play seconds meaning like um 
the grain wasn't right or it just didn't look right or it was uh, didn't match tone-wise for these other sticks. So they would throw them in a, a bin, and I would just ask. I would say, give me those. and Because I, I was breaking sticks so much back then when I was in Canyon. Uh, I would play hard, and um, I hadn't discovered oak, um, the sticks that I use now, which are Promark oak from Japan. They're, they're very, very heavy oak sticks. And they're real durable, and they, they just don't, they do break, but they just don't break as often anyway. I was playing these hickory sticks, and a tip broke off and hit the ride cymbal so hard that it literally bounced back and smacked me in the lip, and it was, I was bleeding. So I had like a bloody, it was like someone hit me in the lip, and I was playing, and I was bleeding, and I didn't know what to do. You know, I was, I just kind of kept wiping it with my hand and playing and wiping it with my sleeve or whatever and uh, it just wouldn't stop bleeding and my drum tech went and he got a uh, a glass of or a cup of um salt water and said swish this around in your mouth a little bit and it'll stop bleeding and i i wasn't sure if i believed him or not but i did it and um it stopped bleeding it's it's pretty amazing it does work if you get a um hit in the lip or if you um or whatever you're you're bleeding for some reason um then uh, try switching some salt water around, and um, and that stopped the bleeding. But I thought it was funny that uh, there was nothing I could do. I couldn't just stop the song and uh, and go. Oh, hang on, I need to uh, take a break and go back and take care of this uh, bloody lip I have. But um, I never forgot about that. The 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 stick tip that uh, kicked my ass. Um, and you know, a lot of stuff happens when you're on stage that. Uh, that is just kind of crazy that you, there's nothing you can do about it. It's a lot of serendipity there that happens. And sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's not. But um, there's been times when the some, somebody does something in the band that makes us laugh so hard that we can't even play. And I know Michael Britt, our guitar player, he's a big, he cracks up so much sometimes that he can't even play. And I, I feel the same. Sometimes you something happens that's so silly and so so funny that you just everybody's laughing and you almost can't play. Um, and one of those times was when we were playing out in, I wanted to say it was Colorado or something, and it was at a um, resort type thing, and it was a, a type of stage where it was a tent covered, it was a stage with a, co- a tent covering it, and the audience is supposed to stand out in the grass, and we are on this stage that's covered. Well, it started raining, and uh, everybody. it was a private party, I believe, and there was probably about, I don't know, 300 plus people at this party, and... Um, we were playing and it started raining and so uh the stage was not it was not risen up it was not a riser like a big up stage it was just kind of a concrete flat thing that just went right out into the grass so there was no step up or anything coming onto the stage so people in the crowd started walking onto the stage and uh next thing you know you know once five people did it so so did 15 and then 20 and and next thing you know all 300 people are on stage with us it was a pretty big stage are on stage with us playing, and it was just like a big party. It was like everybody. St- you, I couldn't even tell where the musicians were, like where Michael was or where Dean was or anybody. I looked out, and, and there was people standing back behind me, and they were singing along with us, and it was just almost like a mingle. They were just mingling on stage, and uh, that went on for man, I guess it, until it stopped raining or whatever. But uh, anyway, you just never know what's um, going to happen, you know, on stage. There's been so many funny things that have happened that. Uh, that just, um, I don't know, you just don't know what's going to happen. And uh, some of them are good, some of them are not so good, but uh, you just got to kind of go with it. And uh, I have learned over the years not to be surprised by anything that happens on stage. And uh, I've had a very full, almost 40-year career 
of um, playing on stage and learning lessons and uh, playing for a lot of people, playing for a few people, and uh, not ever knowing what to expect. And uh, I've had gigs before where, you know, you look at the place and, and, and you you kind of get a feel like, oh, nobody's going to show up to this. You know, it was like a last-minute gig or something. And even just recently when we played here in Nashville, we weren't sure if there was going to be a lot of people to show up or not. But, man, I tell you, they came out in droves, and there was hundreds and hundreds of people when I wasn't expecting maybe 50 people to show up. And, uh, um, you know, you just got to put on your best show, and you got to just go in with an open mind and a, um, a heart, for the music that you're playing and you're doing your thing and the people that are there are going to enjoy it. And, uh, and you just never know what's going to happen. And, um, well, so that's my, uh, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. And, uh, I hope that, uh, all you drummers out there, musicians that are starting out in a career, um, prepare as much as you can for what's about to happen. Um, you just never know what's going to happen. Um, you go into it with a open mind and, uh, a lot of good things can happen, some bad things can happen, but uh, definitely hang in there and do your best and over-prepare, get there early and uh, learn your songs and um, just have a good time. Just go into it and enjoy your music and um, keep an open mind and have fun and I hope you enjoy your gig as much as uh, I've enjoyed my gigs that I've had over the years in my career and I'm just going to keep on doing it for another 40 years until I just can't do it anymore. So anyway, this has been Keith Rainwater on the Designated Drummer podcast, and hopefully we'll see you again soon, and I can't wait for the next one. We'll see you. Bye-bye.